$12 million a year for this university. Get some facts and come back and see me. I've been reading books of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold. This isn't going to be one of those book studies where we go, here's the top ten ways that the fossil record confirms Christianity. But that's that's not what this should be. It's been that way far too long, but it shouldn't be that way. We all have the same evidence. The unbeliever has the same evidence as the Christian has. So the question isn't whether one of evidence. It's how are we looking at the evidence? How are we measuring the evidence? And is that measuring stick internally consistent? That's what we have to examine. We have to know our measuring stick well first, though. That's, I think, we've missed the boat a lot. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Here we are, Shovel Lake Public Radio. You are listening to Skiologians with me, your host, Ryan Cedarquist, and try and break it down for you here. We are titling this episode Questions for Colin because it came about uh, listening to a podcast by my friend, Pastor Colin Brooks, down in Roswell, New Mexico. Colin does a show called Resisting the Winds. It's the best title ever for a podcast. Well, actually, it's not, but it's not better than Skiologians. Uh, because here at Skiologians, we have the six solas. That's the five solas you know about, sola scriptura, but we also have the sixth one, sola skiola. Okay? Skiing alone can render a man joyful. Now, um, man, coffee. Right, it's got to get me loaded here. Do we have a plan for the show today, actually? So, well, I thought I was going to have to just summarize um, what Colin was talking about in his podcast, but then I actually figured out a way to download it. So now Colin is probably, if he is listening to the show, furious, and he should be, over the fact that we are we've downloaded his show, we have put it on our show. Um, you know, I've. I've said the title of his show without asking for permission. Um, and now we're just, we're actually going to, we're going to splice up his clips and use them against him in incredible ways. No, I'm not going to do that, but that would be funny. Um, here we go. So I guess I, I actually don't, I don't want to play the entire show, but I want, cause I want to skip to just one tiny part and you should listen. It's only 28 minutes. The title is did God predestine everything? Um, and so if that doesn't if that doesn't get your juices boiling, I don't know what does, right? <clears throat> but I want to skip ahead to one part. I will start though by prefacing that basically this show, Colin goes to Acts two and Acts four, and he does not say, Here we go, this proves that God predestined everything, but he makes an interesting thesis statement. Um well it's not really interesting, but 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 says this basically proves that any objection you would have to that statement is um, is defeated in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And then kind of Romans 9, too. I don't know if he brings that in. Yeah, he does talk about it a little bit. But I'll, I'll pull up the statement, basically. I think that summarizes the key point that what I want to say here. So Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 do not prove that God predestined everything. And here's the point. I agree. We agree. Okay, so I want to clarify just in case other Calvinists maybe haven't been as clear in this. 
The reason Acts 2 and Acts 4 come up in the conversation about whether God predestined all things is not because they are proof texts or proof passages, if you will, that God predestines all things. We agree with that. Acts 2 and Acts 4 does not teach that God predestines all things. They don't teach that. Well, so is it a red herring then to bring them up? Or is it, um, you know, misdirection? Why are they brought up at all then? Well, because they're still very important to the conversation. The reason these are brought up is because even though they do not positively teach that God predestined all things, they do positively refute all of the reasons for rejecting why God predestines all things. Do you see the difference? Yes. And Ralph, you need to get better at the producing side. We've been trying to do a live show. Look at, I wasted two minutes of everyone's time trying to summarize what Colin just said right there. Now we're skipping ahead. <clears throat> yes, we agree. So this is, uh, oh, let's continue playing the clips and then we can interact with it. Wow, this is, this is like a dividing line. Look, at, I'm going to interact with the clips live. Shovel Lake Public Radio. Here we go. So they do not, Acts 2 and Acts 4 do not teach God predestines all things. But any objection you have to that doctrine can likely be refuted by Acts 2 and Acts 4. So Acts 2 and Acts 4 are very important to determining the question of whether God predestines all things. They don't teach that, but they're very important to that overall system. Okay, so that's the clarification, and let me let me just tell you why. Uh, it seems like he maybe even built in that space back there that we didn't utilize so that we could pause him there and interject and comment. Okay, so you get the gist, right? Now I want to skip ahead to the, the main question I have for Colin. I don't disagree with anything Colin has. I just was left hungry for more, and specifically because I've been having conversations um, with someone about... I think uh, kind of a different issue that sort of lands on this same point that he makes. So I'm going to skip ahead to um, the one of the first challenges to does God predestine everything and then how Acts 2 kind of refutes it. And I want to present Colin with, well, this is what I really think the question might be for some people. The reason why is because when you first introduce a Christian who maybe has never been introduced to this concept before of God predestining all things, if they reject it, they're usually going to reject it on a number of bases. And number one, they might just simply say the Bible doesn't teach that. Fair objection. Good objection. The Bible doesn't teach that. Okay, let's let's open our Bibles. Let's see that. But typically, that objection is not stated in such broad terms. It's typically stated in more specific terms. Like, And it's usually something like this. The reason God did not predestine all things is because then we don't have free will. So, so you see, it's not, it's not a biblical objection. It's a philosophical objection usually. And the philosophical objection is, if God predestined what I would do, if, if in fact, if he predestined everything I do, then it's not really mine. It's not my choice. I'm a slave. I'm a robot. And so this is where Acts 2 and Acts 4 come yeah, in. Yeah, so two things on that point. <clears throat> First of all, that that's absolutely true. If you really dive into this issue... And you're, you will find that the people with these objections, they are not exegeting this from Scripture. They might try to use Scripture to prove things, um, like, see, we make choices, but um, they don't They don't take into consideration. A proper hermeneutic of Scripture, of the entirety of Scripture, uh, biblical systematic theology does not produce this. You have to um, bring this in from a philosophical stance especially this idea of, of free will here. And then also, I would say again, but probably the biggest challenge, and this is even for the smartest people, is we need to define free will. 
because again, Sproul would say the the uh, the truth of free will is is by definition choosing that which you want to do, and so Edwards uh, and Sproul just summarize this. I haven't read Edwards' book on on man's will, but but um, he talks about kind of that law, Edwards' law, that we will always choose. Uh, in accordance with our nature, that's that is biblical. Um, and we talk about like the unregenerate heart, sinful nature, those uh, living by the Spirit. But just on a more like day to day, moment by moment, do I actually have the choice to sit in this chair or use that urinal versus that urinal? Uh, even in that, Sproul says, in every single moment, we actually do act in accordance with some sort of reason. We're never making spontaneous decisions. But but to define free will as I am capable of choosing something outside of God's decree, that's different. And that's kind of the ultimate question I think that I, I kind of want to present here a little bit too, or at least talk about, is if we are as humans capable of choosing something that is outside of God's decree, God is not fully sovereign because then he would not be fully sovereign over whatever that choice is. So there would be a part of this world that he is not fully sovereign over. That's kind of from a biblical A, proposition A plus proposition B, here's my necessary conclusion. We would we would just have to conclude from a authority of scripture standpoint, clear reading, consistent all across the board, that we can't be as sovereign in our free will as God. And I don't just mean that in obviously I can't go flying across um, in midair and I can't just on a, on a, by my will turn water into wine. I get that. We are talking even more that God is outside. He is other than us. And we are in his creation. He's the creator. We're the creature. And so we, we have a creaturely free will. I went way too long on that. See, I didn't, I, I kind of went on a diatribe, but I just think like in general, when you're having conversations with people and I think there is this misconception of, well, what about free will? And it's like, well, we should define that because I believe that we have free will too. But I believe that by my definition of free will, it does not mean I can choose something outside of God's decree. Well, that's not truly free free will. Well, if your definition of free will is you can do absolutely anything, then no, we don't have free will because it's impossible for us to have a fully sovereign God and us capable of choosing things outside of his sovereignty. So if he is truly fully sovereign and all things are by him, through him, in him, then it's not possible. And... I was thinking about this. Sorry, Colin. <laughs> this is a truly like a James White pause, and then I'm going to talk for 20 minutes here. What's thinking about this too is, and he kind of, I guess he, he says, well, we're just robots then, or there's really nothing kind of under our control. And I, I think that if we say that, uh, we're not, we're not being fair. I always have to do like a Twitter, hold on, pause right or facebook when they say you're they're nowadays like lacking key information i think we would have to do that here if you're saying well if god's fully sovereign and we have no free will then it is just a god and a puppet show you're forgetting a key piece of information here god also controls the means by which his decrees are carried out so my understanding i guess of that and, and this this at least gives me some peace here too is is if creaturely will, and this is why it's so critical to define that, that to me, that's that's the understanding that we could go, or at least an explanation, you know, by Edwards and Sproul, they're, they're, that idea of, of creaturely will versus the will of the creator, that distinction, um, that could be the means by which his decrees are carried out. So yes, 
I might experience life as if I am I can make choice A or choice B. That's my creaturely will. When when the Bible talks about this too with Pharaoh and he brings up in Acts and and Acts two and Acts four, right? People making choices, those are creaturely free will choices um, that God will hold people responsible for, even though they they don't exist outside of God's decree. And we might as humans go, well, that's unfair. And that's exactly the prop- the question that was posed upon Romans 9. And he said, <laughs> I'm sorry that you don't like that, but who are you, oh man, to challenge God? He can do this. He is God. And 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 the mystery there by which that is done, that he he um, has a set purpose and a set decree and yet holds man responsible. That's the mystery that we can all wonder about. But we know that God does have morally sufficient reasons for evil. But anyway, what I'm going back is is when you just say it's a puppet show, you're forgetting that not only is God decreeing things, he is controlling the means by which these decrees are carried out. And we have that with scripture even, the 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 canon of scripture is is exactly like that where where and these are God's very words but he also and he controlled he's powerful enough to to make sure that his communication comes to his followers that the sheep will hear his voice and that he will be effective in communicating to them but he's also in control of how that's going to be done whether it's through um, the, the writings of well the, the the authors right the apostles and other authors in, in scripture so I, I think you are forgetting to, to leave that out, controlling the means. Now, I will say this, this conversation I've had with, with my brother, who's, a, who's quite a bit smarter than me, but I have to give him some credit here because he's one of my loyal listeners of Skeologians. So we were having a conversation about this, I think, and, and I just kind of point out that, hey, my, my answer standing in that gap is this, this distinction of creaturely free will versus creator free will. Um, to me, that that is rooted in it does not affect the consistency of other theologies in the Bible. The Bible remains consistent and not contradictory. That is that is what I know has to take place. Um, and this is why, if you inserted another idea like Molinism, for example, um, could this be the means by which God um, is fully sovereign and we you know controls the means by which His decrees are carried out? And my challenge to that is. That I would say, because uh, I, I would predict that would, that might be the response from my brother, because uh, you, you could argue, you know, hey, indeed, all these things are carried out by, by and through God, because because the world he has actuated is actuated by his doing. So so he's more than just a fortune teller. He actuated this world, and it's the best possible world he could actuate to save the most possible people. I would say, just on its face, though, kind of what we're saying there is, this is the best God could do, Right. Because really the best God could do would be to save everyone. So that that's kind of doesn't really make sense to me anyway. It seems like if that was our response and we wanted to maintain biblical consistency, we'd almost have to say that the best God could do isn't actually what the best God could do, which is, is sort of a logical fallacy. And if you wanted to go, no, 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 that's not really what we mean by Molinism and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, if you're going to stick to a strict Molinist, Molinist uh, interpretation of these matters, you kind of throw out some other theologies. I think that's that's the biggest problem I have with that is the necessary conclusions of Molinism are... Um, contradictions in scripture or leaving out key doctrines or just simply ignoring certain truths about God. Um, and so that, that my encouragement, I think, you know, that I kind of gave to my brother is, is let's always be reformed by scripture here. 
Um, and and I, he is someone, again, a lot smarter than I am. So I do believe that the more that he reads the Bible, the more that he and, and uses his standard of interpretation as all things scripturally must be consistent because scripture is my ultimate authority for truth. He is going to piece together these things and, and run into the necessary logical conclusions of, okay, this must be what it is, or this is a valid answer like Sproul or Edwards. And and I guess I didn't really realize that there are some problems here necessary conclusion-wise with maybe Molinism. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think I just would, I thought of this later too, and wanted to kind of pose questions to the God puppet show or just, I, I guess everything's out of my control, right? If I, if I don't really have kind of this ability it's like, think of the, think of the alternative to that. So what I mean by that is in my understanding of God's sovereignty is not a single snowflake gets created without God's intent, right? Not a single molecule runs its operations without bowing the knee to God. Every single thing is happening by his intent, and therefore I can rest with peace and assurance of knowing that everything that happens to me is for my good and his glory, but also there is a purpose and an intent behind everything. But the alternative would be I'd kind of be walking around kind of just sort of wondering, like, was God there? Did he just fall asleep or take a nap and let that happen? Was he just kind of watching and see what would take place here? It kind of turns God almost into like this Hercules God, right? He's very powerful, but he's not all powerful. Right. Um, and I think sometimes Christians tend to think of that when they think of the word sovereignty, they just think really, really powerful, but they don't actually run that to its completely necessary logical conclusions. And then if they kind of like try to, they might skip ahead and then go, well, that's ridiculous. Like then I'm just a puppet. And they sort of miss pieces along the way that make that doctrine actually really quite beautiful because it's so essential, especially in salvation and the doctrines of grace and all the great, the things that make the Bible so beautiful and its consistency. If you just kind of skip ahead to the, the jumpy conclusion on its face, you go, well, Calvinists are just nuts, you know, like there's no way, right? Because this does not comport with what I'm experiencing in reality. It definitely seems like I can make uh, a choice A or choice B. Well, you can, but, but, you know, it's sort of like the same thing with the Trinity, right? We know that God, there's only one God and we know that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and the Father is God. So what's our logical conclusion, right? And I think some people wrestle with that and they go, well, this just doesn't make sense. So God must be God. Jesus must not really be God, right? And that's a really massive, massive hole because they just haven't looked clearly across the whole board. Um, kind of wondering that but but again i was gonna say consider that alternative you know of just you're just kind of left around wondering like for example you know uh your neighbor comes over to your house and murders your daughter in the middle of the night uh was god did god not want that to happen that's obviously a bad thing you know what what do you think of god now you know (laughs) the mike zimmer what do you think of my defense now i don't know like but but you know or i'm i'm uh, downhill skiing with my brother and an avalanche kills him and i walk away fine you know the i think these are the reasons why we we point at god and go what's the deal god you didn't show up there cuz we forget that his what his sovereignty actually means i heard this in the sermon the other day at our church too when when we're when we're faced with some of these tough things it's so hard to be thankful sometimes because on the surface we we can point to times when god was there but then we also point to times where it seems like god was not there and we forget that that by golly, again, every cell in your body doing what it's supposed to do, skin cells shedding, new ones being formed, blood being transported correctly, your lungs operating, all those things are bowing to the sovereignty of God. It's by his grace that you don't go to the default position immediately. What's the default position? 
right? What is the default position for a sinful person and a totally holy, just God? It's not walking around on earth for 85 years, you know, making stock deals, being a teacher, skiing in cross-country ski races. That's not the default thing that you deserve, you know, and, and I think, so when we sit back and we go, well, let's see how God has blessed us. What can I be thankful for God uh, that God has done for me this year? Well, if you believe in, in fully God's sovereignty, the answer is, is everything, because everything happened in accordance by his good, the good intentions of his will for your benefit, if you are a follower of him and for his glory. You know, and, and, and it might still be fun and a good exercise, I think it is, to think back about literal fun highs that we think of as that was a great moment or, or how God really rescued me here or, you know, when I, was, when I did a 360 on the interstate but made it out, that was God being there for me. I don't deny that, but it's also God there for you when you're sleeping in the middle of the night and still breathing like you're supposed to, um, you know, and, and when the properties and laws of logic that allow us to reason and do science, they're all being held together by God too, you know? Um, and if you abandon that so that you feel like you can be someone who makes autonomous free choices, what is to say that anything else is being abandoned? How do we know that God is sovereign over anything? Who gets to choose what he's sovereign over? I don't know. It, it, to me, that just seems kind of like the alternative is actually a lot more frightening to me. You know, now, and on top of that, the alternative, what does it give you? It gives you fully autonomous choice. Oh, great. Like, now I have to trust myself to do everything versus I, before I could have trusted the creator of the universe who's outside of time and sees all things as they should be and is perfect and holy and just and good. By definition, he, that he is the definition of truth and goodness. But I want that, that independence. And, and I guess I, I understand the argument of the pushback of, well, it just seems weird or not like real true love if at the, at the end of the end of the end of the day, everything that is happening is by God's decree. And I would say this is part of the awesomeness of God too, that, that he is fully sovereign. He gets to do everything. And because he is fully good and he is truth and is holy, as believers, all we can do honestly is respond in bowing, adoration, worship, and repentance. And that is why the gospel is a command and not just a, well, if you want to, you know, you could, I'm not saying you can't present that to someone. That's still not, you know, if you want to say, hey, it's your choice, it still is your choice. Because again, creaturely choices. Okay. But, but again, end of the end of the end of the day, it wasn't really your choice because God was the one who is choosing you. Yes, that's fine. But this is his world. Again, this is his world. It's not our world. And I think we need to like recognize that. Uh, but the question is coming up here that Colin's going to pose. And maybe I should just play it. But uh, yeah, I will. I've been talking way too long. Let's play it, and then I'll ask Colin what about my follow-up question. You cannot say that if God predestined you to do something, that you are somehow not accountable for that, or you somehow don't have will that can be judged. Because Acts 2 and Acts 4 tell us that the men who crucified Jesus were predestined to do that, yet they were still held accountable for that. So you see, Acts 2 and Acts 4 don't positively prove God predestined all things, but they do refute the argument against it. The argument against it being that there is no free will. And what they mean by that is I cannot be held genuinely accountable for something I've done if it was predestined. And for some, that is the question. How can I be responsible, right? Paul clearly answers that. That's not a mystery, okay? You, you can be held responsible because God is God. He can do what he wants. He can destine some for evil, some for good, right? Romans 9 answers that question. Acts 2 and Acts 4 say, no, that's actually not true. 
That's actually not true. And by the way, I would argue this is why Romans 9 is also big in the Calvinist debate, because I would argue this question is directly asked in Scripture and directly answered. Romans chapter 9, verse 19. It is. Paul says, you will say to me, then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? It's the same question. Colin did a show. He was on Leighton Flowers, and it was kind of frustrating to listen to because, again, Leighton Flowers, he misidentifies the mystery um, there, right? He he kind of goes, well, he presents the same mystery that the author, uh, Paul, presents in Romans 9. It's like, Leighton, go to Romans 9. They've already asked this question. Paul gave an answer, you know? Why does he find fault who can resist his will? Why would God find fault in me since I'm merely doing what he willed me to do? Why would God still judge me when I had no ability to do otherwise? That is the question of Romans 9.19. And Paul's answer is, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? By the way, mental notes itself, I need to do some more show prep, you know, so I can have those verses available like Colin does a really good job. I'm sorry when I just generally say, you know, I summarize, well, this was said here, this was said there. I apologize. I got to work it up. I got to go skiing. I got to get out there right now, actually. Okay, Colin, keep going. Will the molder say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable use? So again, Paul's answer to that question is not, no, 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 you misunderstood me. No, God didn't predestine everything. Paul says, no, he did predestine your your will, and he will find fault if it's the wrong thing for you to do. And if you have a problem with that, who are you to question him? (laughs) You might not like it, but that is the answer. So the first objection against God predestining all things is not biblical, it's philosophical. And Acts 2 and Acts 4 refute that philosophical objection. All right, and so that's fair enough. That is clear. That's not really the problem that I think particularly my brother would have with this whole idea. Uh, and because he, you know, and I, sorry, Tom, if you're okay with me, like bringing up this example, I think it, this is good discussion. This is iron sharpening iron, hopefully. Um, but but I think he's like, yeah, if that's if that's what God says is the deal, he's God. He can he can do what he wants. And I think the problem I have is I don't I don't have a problem with again God predestining me to do something and then holding me accountable. I'm more of a problem with God predestining me to do something and then either. A, right, tricking me to feel like I'm making a choice or commanding me to, you know, discern, think, uh, weigh options, right? Um, and and he's given me these faculties to reason and logic. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it, it seems like, well, is he just going to dictate what I do? Now, I think that could be, again, a little bit mischaracterized because the, the thinking about the nature of create, creator will and acting always in accordance with your nature, there is, again, room for both it, when we talk about, yes, you are, yes, God is predestining these things, but yes, you are also making free choices because by free, you're choosing what you want because what you want is in accordance with your nature, you know, um, so that's to me how we kind of balance out both but i again i think the uh, a more thought out objection but if you're someone objecting going how can god punish us for that you know he determined it well guess what guys the answer is in the scriptures there because it get, it says that god has every right to use some of his vessels for for destruction to, or you know send some to destruction some to glo- uh, good things right <laughs> all for his glory and and we do have the word predestined is in the bible this isn't like trinity so we're not just like totally going because of A and B, this is a logical conclusion. Like the idea of predestination and election is very clearly 
explicitly put in the Bible, and other doctrines really actually hinge around it uh, in terms of the Abrahamic covenant, uh, in terms of even like scripture, the authority and canonicity of scripture. That's not really a doctrine, but it's a, you know, something that, that does also kind of hinge on it. We depend on a lot of those things, even when we don't acknowledge it. We look at election and we just go, oh, that's awful and disgusting without thinking about, oh, it can't be true, without thinking about then the theological conclusions of that statement, which are just massive. So, but 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 again, what I'm saying, if you're if you're struggling with that, that like how can God predestine and then also punish us? You have a problem with God there, and and I think well, it's an, a reasonable objection. Um, it's been answered. Paul answered it, but he, but Paul doesn't really explain then choice. So if I would have been in the crowd that day, I would have been like, so do I not have a free choice to do whatever it is that I want? <laughs> Seeing what Paul would have said about that. Like, I wonder if Paul would have then entered into this hour-long lecture that would have, uh, you know, been very similar to what John Edwards would have responded to that. Well, well, by what you want, if you mean in accordance with your nature, then of course. And, you know, and again, he does, he doesn't just ignore that. That is in scripture in accordance to, we will always do the things of, uh, in accordance with our nature in terms of sin nature versus Holy Spirit nature. But I think like me just sitting here in 2020, I'm like, well, does that mean <laughs> me choosing to go to Adam State or, or choosing to go to the University of Utah? Was that like, uh, you know, that is that, how is that in accordance with my sinful nature? versus not with my sinful nature, right? Anyway, I don't know, Colin, exactly what question I'm asking, but I guess basically what I'm saying is, is does how does Acts 2 and Acts 4 address the issue of choice? If that's more what I'm caught up with on does God predestine everything, if I'm not really so much caught up on how he couldn't predestine everything because then we then you know how could we be held accountable but more i'm hung up on it because it seems to eliminate this uh this ability for me to to choose to do anything and then i become a puppet like what is you know you you kind of pose that question of of saying well then i'm just a puppet but i don't think your answer really responded to the puppet show you know yes you respond to that fact of of ultimate judgment and holding people accountable for choices, but it doesn't really address the fact that, yeah, okay, all right, I agree with you. God can do what he wants. He can predestine things and he can hold me accountable, but am I just a puppet then? I, I want a more nuanced, to, or not, maybe not more nuanced, I want a more clear answer to that question that is rooted in scripture some way or or is is at least, if this is truly an issue that scripture doesn't, address well enough that what is the what is our systematic theology to that you know in, in answering the person who says it it pretty it pretty much seems like at the end of the end of the end of the day we're still puppets anyway colin there's my challenge to you i'm gonna go out and ski because this is skiologians sola scriptura sola skiola and it is uh, nice out the tracks are fast so i hope everyone enjoyed that just diatribe that coffee filled diatribe that probably could it probably could have been about a 3 minute show but we 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 took it and made it 30 you know that's what we're good at so i uh, have a wonderful day everyone uh, we'll see you later Shovel Lake Public Radio Skiologians brought to you by Malto Meal Malto Meal it fuels skiers every day